people. I have something very exciting to announce. This Labor Day weekend is the 16th annual Kennedy Center Page to Sage Festival featuring stage readings of new works. And I'm very happy to announce that I have not one, not two, but three new plays in the festival this year. My adaptation of Peter Pan from Tinkerbell's point of view, commissioned by Adventure Theater MTC and aptly titled Tinkerbell. A new comedy drama about the first year of raising a child entitled The Guilt of the Possible. And my new work for Flying V Theater, Sheila and Moby. All three readings will be on September 2nd and they are scheduled in such a way that you can easily see all three. The best part, Page to Stage, is completely free. I've got all the details up at unknownpenguin.com live. I'll be at the festival all day on September 2nd, so if you're coming, be sure to let me know. Again, September 2nd at the Kennedy Center, free readings of three new plays by me, Patrick Flynn, free admission. Unknownpenguin.com live for all the details. I hope you can make it. All right, here's the show. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. With Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a multidisciplinary artist based in D.C. He is a company member of Flying V, Ally Theater Company, and The Tarot Project. He's a violinist of 21 years experience and a Pokemon master of roughly the same amount. John John Johnson, everybody! Hello. And so nice they named him three times. <laughs> Great. How you doing, John? Huh? I'm doing all right. Great. It's good good to see you here. It is a nice day outside, which is nice, as always. And you chose a sideshow. This is a show I actually was not familiar with before. I knew it, uh, or knew of it, I should say, but was not uh, had not heard before you recommended it. So, how did Sideshow come into your life? Gotcha. I was uh, it was junior year in high school, mm-hmm. and I was cast in it. Oh, and I fell in love with the music. I was unfortunately unable to perform it, so it's always been sort of like my my one regret. Oh, okay. And so it's a it's a musical that has stuck with me for a very long time. Oh, wow. So that was the first time you heard it when you were cast in yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. And so, what was the what was it about the show that grabbed you, do you think? The music. Um, mm. The story is a little problematic. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, especially coming from high school now to where I am, you know, years later. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, you know, understanding now like, oh, wait, this character is in a sideshow because he is black. Ooh. Right. That's the only thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, these people, you know, and it's, it's very much the sort of vaudeville 1930s, like, oh, look at these people with bizarre deformities. They're freaks. Ah, oh, let's mm-hmm. pay money to look at them and laugh at them. And at the time, I was like, this is really cool. Yeah, subcultures. Yeah, carnivals. You know? And so looking back on it, I was that like, is like the best way you can look at it. <laughs> it's right? like the most optimistic view you could take. And, uh, and I come from a music background. And mm. so. What really, really grabbed me was the music of it. Like I, I actually like didn't quite grasp any of the lyrics for when I was first listening to it. Okay. Before like the audition, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Oh yeah, this music is really smart, and it's really like really gripping music. Like, mm-hmm. well, it's very evocative, and so it's something that drew me to it very quickly." Who were you cast as? I was cast as the Cannibal King. <laughs> 
Oh, so I was cast okay. As the person who was in a freak show because he was black, right? And okay, I am not that. <laughs> and so, but I, you know, I think we do we do give a little more liberty for casting in high school because it is a much smaller talent pool, right? Um, and I was just really excited because he had like two show stopping numbers, yeah. and then doesn't do much else, right? Which is great. Like I love that big like, number in Act One, big number in Act Two. Yeah, and then you're backstage out. the rest of the yeah. time. Yeah, just hanging and out and like look at my emotions. Bye, everyone. Right. He's an interesting character. I want to get into that in a little bit. So, but it is because when you say the story is problematic, it is a true story, yeah, or at least based on a true story, you should say, mm-hmm. of Daisy and Violet Hilton, who were conjoined twins, um, or Siamese twins, as they keep saying over right. and over again in this show. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just kind of well. It was. I mean, it was nineteen. What, what time? What, when does this take place? I want to say it's in the thirties. Yeah, I mean, so. it's of vaudeville. Obviously, they were born in nineteen oh eight. So the show takes place. Yeah, late twenties, early thirties. And when they were in a sideshow and then in vaudeville and then the follies and then you know life took a turn but the show doesn't cover that so we should go do you know how like uh, we'll get to that in a minute anyway okay so so um for people who don't know and i have to say i was one of them i knew it was about conjoined twins but nothing else can you do you think you can give a plot synopsis of sideshow basic plot synopsis is they're sort of it's the conjoined twins and they're sort of happily with their family in the sideshow the proprietor or the MC. now what do they call him the boss i think something like that yeah yeah he is like the boss hinted at being kind of an alcoholic abusive but it's never really shown and then uh two producers looking to like make their mark on the vaudeville world show up and are entranced by their act and want to take them away from the circus and then for some reason it's a love story where <laughs> each of those young producers falls in love with one of the twins right but one is a bit more performative, which turns into real. The other one is very real. But then, like, I don't know if I can go through life loving someone who is attached to their sister. Like, how are we ever going to be intimate and this, that? So it's, and then they leave. Right. And then it's the end. Right. So, like, the, that's Well, the, they do get married. Yes. At the end, in this kind of, like, yeah, it's got a very down ending and justifiably so it's not a happy story do you know how they died oh god okay so (laughs) so according to wikipedia um in the uh later part of their lives in the in the um 50s they had some promoter who was uh, attached to them and uh he started taking them around the country and then in like 52 he had just ditched them in this small town and they couldn't pay their bills so in the 50s you did like they got a job at a grocery store and they just stayed in that town for the next 20 years hmm. and actually had kind of a regular life. Unfortunately, uh, they both got, um, in 1969, they both got um, what, do you call what was called Hong Kong flu, which is just a flu outbreak that had right. originated in Hong Kong uh, and died. The, the sad part being that um, Daisy died first and Ooh. Violet died about four days or three days later. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a rough, rough finale. Um, but the musical... Has an equally down ending. They, uh, she goes. Daisy does get married to her fiance, even mm-hmm. though he doesn't want to marry her, just purely for the show business aspect yeah. of it. Because um, their wedding's going to be a show, and if nobody goes on, their careers are over. Yeah, right? which is super sad. Um, so yeah, there we have this. This yeah. So the show didn't run for very long in either incarnation. Nope. <laughs> 91 performances the original production did but it was widely critically acclaimed mm-hmm. it's a very it's, it's it's kind of i was about to say it's a very sad story but it ultimately i think ends on a pretty 
The last song is pretty positive. It's a hopeful note. Yeah. And it's sort of like that as long as they have each other, they're okay. Right. This is a very nice thing for a high schooler to hear. Sideshow Sideshow was one of them because it's a huge cast and a lot of really difficult numbers. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, even the opening number with like it's got some really complex harmonies, yeah. and, like interweaving melodies, and then just like, and then on top of just the singing aspect, like the the staging aspect of it, on top of it, mm-hmm. it was just, whew, it was a lot. So what? But it's obviously a show that's stuck with you in in a lot of ways. What do you think has has held you kind of? Um, I think, for me, it was a show that first had like emotional impact while performing, because I started acting in high school. I didn't mm-hmm. start before that. And it was like the first show I was ever in was like Pippin and like I didn't quite understand the gravitas mm-hmm. of it. I was just like, yay, they're singing and dancing and this is delightful. <laughs> and then the next musical we did was Evita. I'm like, there's a lot of political ramifications yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> um but like I was I was having a lot of fun mm-hmm. and then oh, Sideshow came along and suddenly it was like struck by the music in a way like on a deeper level than the other two had before and i think part of it was like rehearsing the cannibal king's second song Mm -hmm. that uh that you should be loved Mm -hmm. you should be loved with constant devotion heart pounding passion flooding you through you should be treasured like a ruby or a diamond you should be loved in the way I love you. Cause I was like, oh, like, look at my emotions. I can like do stuff with them. Yeah, and it, it was very formative as a result. Understanding like, it wasn't just about like parking and barking. It was about like, tr- like manufacturing that feeling of truth. Mm-hmm. And like, finally, that was when it sort of clicked for me. Like, understanding like you have to feel it in the moment. But like, my very logical brain was like. But I'm not actually in this moment, so I shouldn't be feeling it. Mm, okay. And then something about the the evocation of the music actually broke that barrier for me, allowing me to go, oh, like, it doesn't matter if this moment is logistically false, the the feeling behind it can still be real. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably one of the reasons it stuck with me. And then like, uh, even the songs that weren't mine, <laughs> um, like they they really just sort of hit home in a really lovely way. The the even the come look at the freak song at the beginning, the opening number is so like hard hitting. It's probably my favorite opening number hmm. of like almost any musical. Ladies and gentlemen, step right up, right this way. There is no wait. We don't waste your time. So little to pay, just one thin dime gains you admission to my auditorium. Never have you seen a comparable emporium of wonders under one tent. Your dime could not be this one was the mm-hmm. first one that was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And suddenly it's because it's got that like, it's got that compound four going. It throws you right off the bat. And then it sort of floats between introducing all the sideshow characters. Mm-hmm. But like, it's also what, what I was found fascinating was it was an invitation to watch the show. Mm. Like it was, you know, could, right. you know, come inside, come look at the freaks, all like that. Like Cabaret it was, or like it was one like, of those shows. Yeah. yeah or Pippin. It, even. Yeah. It's, Pippin. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, yeah, come on in. And mm-hmm. like it, that sort of like meta theatrical element always like makes me happy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yeah, I get it. We're, we're going to see the show, but we're seeing the show. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. Well, that was a very simple. <laughs> right. That's, well, no, that's good. That's good. So you have, I mean, you have a mainly a musical 
background you say with violin yeah specifically and you had studied that seriously as a uh, yeah up until a freshman in college and then i switched to theater okay um but i was i was like hardcore gunning for the like uh violin pedagogy like i wanted to teach violin oh wow and like with all the music theory that mm-hmm. comes with that and all the sight singing and the ear training like what what ultimately drove me away was the lack of sense of community oh okay um it was more of the like it was very competitive and like it's a very competitive a, instrument, yeah. yeah. And on the one hand, I really liked it, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, I was really lonely. Mm. And I was like, "Oh my god, I'm a freshman in college, and I have zero friends because all my friends are rivals." Right. And then, like, the theater community was one of those like, I auditioned for a show on the on a whim with mm-hmm. my roommate at the time, and I was working like after school, so I, I didn't really have time for anything. And I auditioned, and the director was like, why aren't you accepting a part? Why are you here if you're mm-hmm. not accepting a part? I was like, oh, well, I'm just doing it to morally support my friend and give give her someone she knows. Right. And she was like, all right, I'll see you at callbacks. Right. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then I, I wound up in the show, and then I saw my name on the cast list, and I heard all these people going, ah, oh, who's this guy? We don't know who he is, da 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 yeah. And I was like, oh, no, it's happening again. Right. <laughs> and then I was like, that's, that's me. That's me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, welcome, welcome to the theater department. And I was like, oh, okay. And then the next the next year I switched over because I was like, oh, wow. this, this feels much better for me, much more suited. Like, I don't, there's the competition, but it was mm-hmm. friendlier. Mm-hmm. And it was a competition in that everyone was helping each other, not like, like you hear stories of like conservatories where like piano students will put razor blades and yeah. piano keys and the like. I, I was just not about that life. Yeah, no, that's. And yeah. the, theater also, like I wound up playing violin in that show. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, right, I can do both. That's a thing that is possible. Right. You've talked about it a little bit, but what was it about the music of Sideshow that really grabbed you? And like, obviously you've done other musicals before mm-hmm. that hadn't grabbed you in the same way. So what was it about the music? I think... Again, coming from a, from the Cannibal King perspective, mm-hmm. like the first number of The Devil You Know was just like jazzy and wonderful. And it was like something about what felt like vocal acrobatics mm-hmm. felt very like, oh, this is what like it, it feels like this in my throat. Therefore, it should feel like this in my body. And like I'm not quite admonishing you, but I'm very strongly cautioning you because I'm in love with you. But let me put on this swagger mm-hmm. to like sort of convince you that your choices are wrong. And it was that sort of like connection between like objective and emotion mm-hmm. because he's like deeply in love with Violet. And then on top of that, like just like the music itself being so delightful. And then the the one at the end where he's like, I love you. Like you should be loved. And it, it's like, it's really, that song is really simple, like melodically yeah. and harmonically. But it's the whole idea, like, just the, the sort of sweeping build underneath it and the strings and, like, the crashing of cymbals. And it's like, oh, look, like, he's really putting himself out there. And then she goes, haha, no. Right. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh-huh, you know, and then they have that, like, intertwining. She's like, I love you like a brother. And I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. No, but it's like, but, like, I love you still. Right. And then the whole idea, like, he just gets, like, so angry. And that whole line, like, when you're married to nothing, like, in the yeah. cast recording, he, like, screams it. And I was like, oh, that feels good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't actually have these feelings for anyone, but it feels good. And now I know what I'm going to feel later. Right. Or something to that effect. Sure. Like. Well, and, and it's Norm Lewis on the cast recording who yeah. is like, I mean, if you're if you're going to have some, like if you have a song written for Norm Lewis, that's going to be a good song. That's mm-hmm. going to be a song you're going to want to sing. Yeah, that's a pretty, so the two things, speaking about this recording specifically, having not heard it before, the two things I had trouble keeping track of, because I just listened, 
was when Daisy and who was Daisy and who was Violet. Yeah. Which is good, I think, on balance that I had trouble splitting them up. Speaks a lot to Alice Ripley and Emily Skinner's cohesiveness that they were like you, you were very you know get lost in them a little bit they obviously are very clearly drawn characters that now which is, daisy is the demure one and violet wants to be the star or have i no, got that daisy wants to be the star daisy wants to be the star okay and violet is, yeah, is the, more the shrinking withdrawn. Violet. okay so alice ripley plays the shrinking violet and oh look at that and um and they pair up with terry and buddy mm-hmm. terry is the promoter and buddy is the music guy yeah and and buddy's the more like naive of the two and the, right like, the happier go luckier and the more proper though i mean the sort of like violet yeah. and buddy both care deeply about like social appearances mm-hmm. and norms which causes great tension between daisy and violet in i mean a song that I know they had the title for before they even wrote the show, which is Leave Me Alone. I mean, you're, of course you're going to have conjoined twins sing a song called Leave Me Alone. Leave me alone. This is none of your business. You don't need to judge or offer advice. You're not my mother. You're not my warden. Don't need a strict chaperone. Why don't you leave me alone? Leave me alone. I am trying to help you. Your blatant behavior embarrasses me. If you could see you... From my perspective, you wouldn't like what you were shown. No, I won't leave you alone. It ends up on a very sad note, but important note for these two characters to yeah, really hate it's each other. Yeah, divide. Yeah, and then it's Violet's main objection is her behavior towards Terry, like her flirting and things like that, which is so funny to think of. Like It's like having that angel on your shoulder, literally on your hip, like just bothering the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah. And it's a person. Like it's it's not a, you know, a, a, something of your imagination. It's, this person is standing next to you. And is literally connected to you. And then that is what kills, but it's it's the, the irony of the fact that that's what kills their relationship between Daisy and Buddy, or Violet and Buddy, that mm-hmm. he can't, the, the the like you say, the logistical improperness of being married to somebody right. who's a conjoined twin. And then Violet's turnaround and rejection of Jake, the Cannibal King. Right. It's just like, what would people say? I know. It's Interracial so... couples, no. no. Oh my gosh. It's so... I, I don't even... Well, let's... Okay, let's stick to one. We'll go to that. And then we said, <laughs> so I had trouble keeping track of uh, Daisy and Violet. I had a little trouble keeping track of Terry and Buddy mm. on the recording. Not... Like, once the song was rolling, I, I, I knew who was talking. They're very clearly drawn characters. But then, when you should be loved... Like you say, of uh, the funny thing about Jake... The Cannibal King, being this character who kind of comes in, disappears, and comes back. I didn't realize that the, he was the same guy. <laughs> or even the same... I knew it was Norm Lewis, but I didn't realize he was playing the same character right. as earlier. Because you could, my brain was like, oh, they left the sideshow, and then yeah, that and was it. even then, musically, it doesn't quite line up with his earlier stuff. Right. But like, which I... And now, hearing you talk about it, I think is actually... it's it, it's a, It's such a raw, unrehearsed kind of song. It has a very... Yeah broken quality to it uh that um the devil you know doesn't have the devil you know i mean it's a jazz kind of it it feels it felt like a disney number to me in a lot of ways yeah like in um in princess and the frog like the the sort of cajun kind of vibe to it Mm -hmm. sort of generic cajun and fun but like the whereas you should be loved is a like a soul bearing yeah wrench your your heart out kind of number it's a nice dichotomy for that character too yeah like you have the cannibal king the one who everyone looks up to in the sideshow like sort of almost sort of a de facto leader because he can silence everyone just with the power of his voice because he might eat them um 
Even though he won't, because no. he's just there because he's black, but yeah. okay. <laughs> but then when he comes back at the end, like, he does, I think he does travel around with them. Mm-hmm. He just doesn't, like, do much. Right. He's just kind of, like, there. Hanging out. And then he's like, but I love you. And it is very raw, and it's sort of like, it feels the difference for him between something he's very confident about versus something he's not at all confident, which is why the music feels mm. different to me. Sure. And, and that, that could also just be like, they rushed that song. You never know. Well, but I think it, it, it even if they did, it works. So mm. fine. You know, you get that. Um, yeah, and it very much lines up with Violet's style. Mm-hmm. So when she comes in and they duet briefly, it makes a lot more sense. It's sort of like his, because musically it sounds like he's appealing to her and playing on her field. Rather than in the first song, he is, this is his turf. Right. You know, and so it's it's sort of like, like, I remember in the score, like, anytime the Cannibal King sang, he had, like, a tempo marking that said Tempo D Cannibal King. Uh-huh. And sort of, like, he has his rhythm. Mm-hmm. And, like, anytime his sort of theme comes up, it's there. It's, you know, you feel it, you know it. And then here, suddenly, he's singing completely out of his element. And so that that was how I read into it, at least mm-hmm. musically. That was the cue, the, the clues I got. Okay. That's really interesting. I mean, I've never really spoken to someone about this sort of thing who comes at it from a mainly musical ah, perspective instead of text base and then finding how the music suits the text and going, oh, there's my musical. Mo-. You know, everybody finds it. Mm-hmm. But coming at it in that other direction is really interesting to me because I'm not, I mean, I've, I, I, can, I play instruments and I know enough music to, to say things like, you know, minor third. but uh, <laughs> And things like, you know, I understand how chords are put together, but it's really funny to I'm really interested in this like the fact that this show really came at you from a musical direction instead of the text first and then the music second. What were some other musical things that you, you that grabbed you as you started to dig into the show a little bit? Um well there was the tunnel of love scene <laughs> um, with the infamous tunnel of love scene. Yes. It's it's the the four lovers uh just like trying to be intimate mm-hmm. and not really working mm-hmm. or at least on one side not really working on the other side it's sort of like oh like she's getting it on and i feel it in my body and this is awkward I love what she's got what i'm feeling she's got everything he's not yet feeling with me i am yours you are mine it's a sin it's divine that as well the way it shifts between their four different perspectives it like gives you very much like the very like desirous like yes i want this oh my god i want this and then the other one going what is happening like and then again like very clearly like their their musical moments when they're not singing together Mm -hmm. are very very defined and separate Oh, okay. No, that, but that's yeah. no, but that's important. I think. It, yeah, it, it, it's a weird thing to say, but as for for characters being conjoined twins, that's yeah. a it, it's a weird situation anyway. Yeah, and it was it was another one of those clues where it's like, I mean, a they're feeling some kind of way about their respective situations, but musically, because I, I I have difficulty like listening to the text like the first three times through a song. It's yeah, I think that's most always, people. I mean, e- yeah. even though, like I say, a lot of actors I think go text first. When you hear a song, the first thing you hear is the music, and then yeah. you hear the lyrics second. Yeah, and the, the melody is usually what cued me. And so one of the things about that song was that even like I want your first couple times listening and having difficulty differentiating their voices, I still knew exactly what that character was feeling. Mm. 
editing even without the words like the music itself was telling me oh they feel this and that's sort of the joy of musicals is you don't really have to work that hard <laughs> it's like <laughs> the music does the score's doing a lot of work yeah, for you a lot of work it's what is it called the Vorshav effect i think yeah where it's like you know the, an actor on film can stand there and make one face. Oh, the Kuleshov effect. Kuleshov, there it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. same, I think it's the same thing with music. Yeah. It's like, whatever's going on in the background, unless you're actively playing against it, will work in your favor. Mm-hmm. And and I think this this is a musical that really exemplifies that. Like, the music is so... When they're not performing the vaudeville numbers, the music is so intrinsically tied to their emotive states at any given oh, okay. time. Yeah. Hmm. Like, the, the Leave Me Alone is a great example. The music itself is playful. Which is why you're not like, okay, they're done forever. Right. But it does have that good back and forth feel. It brings back that compound four from the beginning that's designed to sort of unsettle you a little bit, mm-hmm. make it feel like it's off kilter. And so the just the the rhythm of it, the meter of it sort of lets you know, okay, they're these two the two two twins are off kilter. And then they're they're back and forth and it was like, oh, they're having an argument. And then uh, I don't really know how else to explain it, mm-hmm. but like the without even hearing the words, you can hear that they are, they're going back and forth. And if you took out even their, if you took out even their melodic lines, the music itself would imply okay something is happening. It's fun for the audience, but at the same time, it's not in like a bright cheery tone. So like there's a back and forth going on. Something is unsettling. Something is off kilter. Right. And then you put the words in, you're like, oh, okay, I see. It's conjoined twins trying to give, to right. take space from the other. Oh, dear. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's funny. I had to look up compound fourths just now to make sure I, because it's, it's an 11th chord, essentially. Is that correct? Uh, no. So no? Uh, regular four is, you know, one, two, three. Oh, you're talking four. about timing. Yeah. Time oh, signature. I'm sorry. You're talking about time signature, no not, not chord structure. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, but like the opening, you have that. So it's still in four, but they've subdivided it in like sort of a three and three and two. Oh, okay. So it gets that syncopated feel. So as opposed to, you know, what is it? Leave me alone. I am trying to help you. Da, 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 da. You know, mm-hmm. like if you were doing that with just a regular four, it wouldn't have that sort of uh, uh, lilty feel. Right. It's, it would be much more straightforward. And so, and that was sort of like the distinction between the Cannibal King songs again. One is very much in a syncopated rhythm versus the much more straightforward rhythm at the end. Mm-hmm. And though the the metrically though it gives you a lot of clues again like, as to what's going on. Yeah, uh, like the one plus one equals three. That's that's mm-hmm. very much like da 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 da. It's syncopated, but it's very much in the straight four. Yeah. And so you know, okay, this is lighthearted fun. No one's feeling any kind of way. This is like so it's, somewhere it's, in between a waltz and like between three four and four four lies compound compound four, four which is it's, it's fascinating because compound four is still four. Right. It's. It's just a different subdivision that makes it uneven, mm-hmm. as opposed to the even four all the way through, like the very steady beat. It takes that steady beat and breaks it up in a way that makes you feel kind of like you're stumbling. Right. But it doesn't have the sort of seesaw effect that like a three four would have. Yeah, where you're the sort waltz of like, is still much more. Where it's not, you're not bouncing on regular. It's still, yeah. Like yeah, it's because that two at the end of it really breaks it up. So mm-hmm. as opposed to one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, which is even. Mm-hmm. You have the one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three, one. So it almost feels like you're missing a beat. Mm-hmm. And that that's sort of a really, really cool technique for four four writing in general. Yeah. Because um, you can, you can you change just made the entire me think time of, with uh, piece. Extraordinary from Pippin. If the floorboards are squeaking and the doorboards are leaking and the chimney's in need of repair. If the garden has brambles and the yard is a shambles, well, I'm terribly sorry, but I don't care. 
Yeah, it's on four. Okay. And that, so suddenly you have that extraordinary where it's like everything's great, and then when he's feeling some kind of way about everything, right? It's in it the, goes in this. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a drive almost. It mm-hmm. feels yeah, the good sensation. It, it's got this gallopy feel. Yeah, almost and. It, it it drives you forward, but it, it makes you sort of uncomfortable because it's not not everything is lining up on the beat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, but it, it, I'm I'm fascinated by all this this sort of stuff because it's it's such an integral part of of what how like a good musical does. I mean, obviously, there are musicals that don't do this at all, right. and there are musicals that do this to lesser extents. I mean, you, I think every musical that has characters in it employs leitmotif. It, it's yeah. just you you know it, it's. We'll call it Wagner's best lasting legacy, but uh, you know, and you mentioned Evita. Oh, I feel like List and Schumer would take offense to that. Probably that that's um, true. Um, they're not on the same scale, I guess. Right. right? You would say, yeah. Well, we don't have to talk about Wagner. <laughs> it's but like I mean, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber does this a lot, and I think he, he actually does it too much and gets a lot of flack for the fact that the same melodies keep popping up. Yeah, all over the place. And but what he's I think trying to do is is establish these, these sort of themes that. Are supposed to make you remember something from the last time you heard this theme to right. evoke the sort of the sort of feeling to it, um, but when overused, can feel like you're cannibalizing yourself. Well, I think the best use of leitmotif is probably Sweeney Todd because mm-hmm. it's so simple with mm-hmm. Joanna. Yeah, it's always that minor sixth. I feel you, Joanna. I feel you. And even if she's not present, you know they're thinking about her because you hear it. Right. Or, like, your brain is sort of subconsciously drawn to the notion of Joanna. Or, if you could dig deep, their idealization of Joanna. Right. Um, of each character's idealization. Yeah. Yes. But it's always there, and it's a really simple three-note mm-hmm. thing. And it's very often hidden in the score. So, unless you're listening for it, you won't, like, overtly hear it, but you'll still get that pull. Mm-hmm. And the, the leitmotif in this is is less evident it's like uh the the most the best example is probably for the twins themselves is that the, the sort of ah ah ariel i got your voice melody they sing at the beginning It's very. It sort of seeps into the score at various places. For the and for the Cannibal King, it's drums. Mm. So whenever he's got a feeling, you feel, you feel that quote unquote African beat. Um, but you know, he, yeah, it's, you it's there. Yeah, and uh, so lesser extent, each of the characters have their own leitmotif, but the the themes are sort of present there, and the music is very very clear at telling you, at least emotionally, like where everyone is, mm-hmm. unless of course they're performing for the vaudeville. Right, like when they're performing within the performance, it's it's harder to tell. Yeah, those songs are really easy to pull out. It was mm-hmm. it was really interesting to sort of go because I originally thought like everyone else was a vaudeville. I want to be, I want to be like everyone else, but not like my sister says. She wants stability. She would like fame. I'd like serenity. Frenzied acclaim, but we can't agree on a single response. We want what everyone wants. Just because on the recording, it's not really, it's, it's impossible to tell. But then when they actually did um, 
is it We Share Everything is the mm-hmm. first vaudeville number? Yeah. Then I went, oh, this is a vaudeville song. Like, interesting contrast to come after Leave Me Alone. I mean, it's such a mm-hmm. fun little moment that they have this knockdown, drag out fight. And then they're suddenly... And they have to be like, like no, everything's great because we're twins and it's great all the time. Yeah. Uh, the vaudeville is always cued in by prominence on the piano mm-hmm. just to sort of evoke that style. That yeah. sort of 30s piano, sal- not saloon, but like... Yeah, it's kind of jangly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Whereas like everything right else has... Mu- yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything else has much more emphasis on like the horns or the woodwinds or the strings. And so like, that's usually to tell for me musically, that's my cue as to whether or not your performance, like vaudeville performing, or this is my feelings Mm -hmm. because the vaudeville performance will always lead in with the piano and very heavy prominence on the piano. So the instrumentation also is, is very clever. Right. But it gets muddled at the end. I mean, as we were just talking about like Mm -hmm. this, this finale, when these two people, have have a have an ending that is it's so funny because it's not i wonder if one of the reasons this show doesn't land with all because neither i mean this the, the original as i said ran for 91 performances it was nominated for four tonys it didn't win any now it was up against ragtime and lion king so that's 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 <laughs> that's tough um the the revival that was in 2014 um which actually played at the kennedy center for a little while here in town um it closed after seven weeks. I mean, which is which is pretty rough. So, mm-hmm. it, it, I wonder if one of the reasons it doesn't it doesn't land as much with an audience is because the finale, aside from the subject matter being very uncomfortable, um, the finale isn't happy and it isn't dark. Yeah, it exists in a very real melancholy where it's just like this is our life, and it stink sometimes yeah. and it's great sometimes and when it but when it stinks it stinks in ways that you're it's way worse than your life you know mm-hmm. audience member but when it's great i mean the great the line i love lyrically and i think it's in i will never leave you is when she's they talk about if we stood on our tiptoes we could peek over the sill and once in a while we would see a girl slowly walking up the hill and we'd think what a sad situation to be outside on your own to go through the town with no playmate to go through life all alone it, I mean, in direct contrast to leave me alone like there's the exact opposite sentiment being expressed right. from that song so their happy moments are also like deeper than we could possibly understand and their sadder moments are deeper than we can understand because they're shared and amplified exactly which is wonderful but for whoever sitting in right. you know the fifth row it's kind of a hard it leaves i want you walk out of there kind of like in between like i kind of the recording mm-hmm. ends for me and, and i was like, and oh. i was like oh that's the end that really was the feeling of it's a funny thing of listening to it on mp3s where they right. just keep playing and then it just stopped and i looked at my phone and went oh that was Oh, that was the end? Okay. And then I kind of back up four songs and, you know, listen to it again to get the build. 
But I imagine it has a very anticlimactic, yeah. intentionally anticlimactic feeling mm-hmm. at the end. It's super anticlimactic. And then also it's, I think, because, again, you're talking about like their twin and their relationship there. It's sort of difficult for a majority of people to like enter that world, to like yeah. share that. They're like, this is a feeling foreign to them and they're getting a window into it rather than really having shared that experience. Like a lot of people who go to theater love projecting their experiences onto what they're seeing mm-hmm. and saying, oh, I understand that because I've been in that situation or I like I empathize with this character. It, it, it gets a little difficult to empathize with the twins and... Because and to Terry and Buddy because their motives are kind of like all over the place. Yeah, you they know, jump it's... around a lot, and it's so funny to me that Buddy is the first one to be like, "This isn't, I think, what we thought it was. Like, I mm-hmm. think we're actually in a little over our heads." And Terry's like, "It's fine, right?" And, and then of course Buddy's absolutely right. <laughs> takes him. It takes him another like act and a half to really be vindicated, but he's totally right. Like from the yeah. beginning, like I think the song's more than what we bargained for. I think so. Yeah, yeah I mean, and he's, it, it's a very straightforward song where he's just like, you know, this she likes you, and I think this one likes me, and I kind of like her, and what are we gonna do? And Terry's like, yeah, it'll be fine. We're gonna make so much yeah. money, it'll be fine. And it's you know, it is not fine. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah. I mean, it is for a little while, and then then it's not. Yeah, and it's it's kind of hard to follow just all their motives in general. Yeah. Because it's sort of like, Daisy, I want to be a star, but I want to marry this guy, but I want to be a star, but I hate my sister, but I love my sister. But like, it's so real. I mean, that's the yeah. the thing about it. For and if, as you say, for a show that's so big, it really mm-hmm. only has four, five characters in it, mm-hmm. really, and then a huge ensemble Yeah, it follows the basic it. opera format. Yeah. You know, you have your soprano, your alto, your baritone, your tenor. Mm-hmm. Or your bass and tenor, and then you have your fifth business baritone, the Camel yeah. King. You know, right. It, it, it follows that formula very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the story just might be bigger than the format, like mm-hmm. you say. Like, it just might... Because it really is a loved show. I mean, it's a show that mm-hmm. people love this show. I remember when it was getting revived, I remember people I follow on Twitter in New York were just thrilled that this thing was coming back. And it was going to be huge. It had been big in it had been big in California, I think, with Bill Condon directing, and when that production moved to the Kennedy Center and got really good reviews here. I mean, it was it was rolling, and then it just it hit that huge commercial wall that a lot of shows hit for mm-hmm. this, which is a shame because it is a big show. Usually, you can go, well, it's not meant for Broadway. It's not a big show. This is a right. very big show it's and deserves huge. to be a big show because it. I mean, it starts and ends with a show. It starts and ends with Come Look at the Freaks, and it mm-hmm. ends with a wedding that is a real wedding, but it's a show, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, you know, that's good. First of all, it's good writing, but it, <laughs> it is, it, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard and dark and yeah, severe. And I, and I think for such a big show, because it doesn't have a definitively good or bad ending, and I think that's really what you want, because, yeah. like, the opening number, again, it has such a promise of this epic feel. Like, again, that music has that driving compound four. It's got these really open harmonies that, like, make it feel like there's so many more people on stage than there actually are. Mm-hmm. And you have all these characters and you have, like, all these, like, you have a bearded lady and people who bite chicken heads. And, like, you have a cannibal and all like, harem girls. And, yeah. and then they disappear. Right. You know, and then they, they show up here and there as a chorus. But... Really, it's it becomes a really small show. Yeah, and it's it's hard to sort of reconcile that unabashed non-PC versus our PC sensibilities now. Yeah. So it's sort of like, I, I get, I imagine there's a feeling of, yeah, I really want to like this, 
but I'm uncomfortable that I like it. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's sort of across the board then. Like, you're like, yeah, like, I'm uncomfortable by this, but I really want to vote for them, like the twins, but I'm uncomfortable by the fact that, like, one's having sex right. and the other's feeling it. That is really uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm uncomfortable as to these men's intentions toward them. Like, yeah. And you want to root for them and you want to root for all of them, but then none of them, none of them get what they want. Right. You know, everything that they set out at, like, by the end of Act One, they say, I want this thing. And then by the end of the show, no one gets anything. Yeah. And then you die in a town of Hong Kong flu. Well, they skip that part, <laughs> like, obviously. And I think wisely so. I don't, yeah. I don't think, I, I think the show ends in exactly the right spot. It ends kind of, it feels like at the height of their fame. Mm-hmm. And, that's a good place to stop. Like it's a good like because it's not going to get better from here. So yeah, and it, it why should we keep and rolling? Musically, I don't think there's anywhere you can go after that number. Yeah, which is again like emotionally for the twins' arc feels like a great ending, but for the arc for the whole show, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Huh. That's interesting. So you think? Do you think the the ending is not set up appropriately by like where we start out? Yeah, going because okay. you have. Like, at least emotionally, you have, like, the whole, the family of the sideshow mm-hmm. and all its its problems present in the boss. And then you're like, okay, well, we're going to we're gonna go off and, and marry these two men and that'll be our new family. But then that doesn't quite work out. And then they're left alone with neither the family they left or the family they tried to gain. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you want them to find their place. You mm-hmm. want them to find their place in the greater world. And they're ending by saying, no, our place is with each other. And so you begin with this gigantic scope, this like freak show, this this wonderful epic thing, and we're going from that epic sideshow into vaudeville, which is even bigger. Mm-hmm. And then no, you end with just the two of them, and so it it feels sort of like like a kind of cone downwards. So I want to also talk. I think I think it's important though that we do talk about the political correctness issue mm-hmm. of this show, and beyond. It's actual subject matter, which is a big problem. So I I, I want to say what I thought, and then I want to hear what you have to say, just so we know where we're coming from. So I felt that, like I say, it would be very disingenuous to, mm-hmm. to PC up any of the very un-PC parts of this show, because they were called Siamese Twins. They were on a freak show. That's what that's what it was. That's what literally what it was called. Um, but at the same time, it makes me, it doesn't make me uncomfortable. It makes me very sad hmm. about this period, you know, where you kind of go, like, it's, oh, every time anybody's like, well, you can't, like, that was the period of time, you know, that, like, when they talk about people like uh, like John Calhoun and uh, and Yale and being like, they should name a building after him. And it's like, well, you know, every a lot of people were in favor of slavery. And I go, yeah, but a lot of people weren't also mm-hmm. and spoke up about it now we don't have it anymore like this there was a there were people saying no it wasn't like literally 100% of the population was like yes so that argument never tracks with me <laughs> like you know but there is a certain you know I, I i will take it with like certain word usages in books and things like that be like it's a product of its times like, all right but like general attitudes mm-hmm. make me sad for that time period it makes me like that was a bad time period for a lot of people and the closest I got to the show being aware of that is the devil you know mm-hmm. of this of the character being like our life is terrible, but it could be worse. <laughs> Just don't don't ever forget that. And me kind of going, oh, all right. It's like I feel I feel the empathy of these characters. I feel they're aware of their own position and they're trapped. 
Yep. And then they go off, obviously. You have to. And then that was the last point I thought the show really knew what, like, ha- was on the right side of this difficult struggle. But I want to turn it over to you. The, the cisgendered straight white man has said enough. Um, <laughs> what, do, so how, do you, how did this strike you then, now, any of those? So at the time, when, when in high school, I was just like, yeah, let's sing a show. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and very, very unaware of any sort of social oppressions, mm-hmm. like had felt them but didn't have words for them sort of like you know just sort of what we now know as like microaggressions and Mm -hmm. like i like experienced that a lot but didn't have a name for it and didn't know how to process those emotions so i simply didn't i had more like quote-unquote important things to worry about Mm -hmm. you know like getting homework in on time (laughs) because this was on top of this was ib program so like this was basically Mm -hmm. early level college yeah who boy? Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun question mark. Um, <laughs> so it didn't really cross my mind. I was I was very much of a, these are people, and this is their story, and that's great. And then looking back at it from now, from this vantage, going like, yeah, they're still people, and this is their story. And you're right. I think I think to change things would be disingenuous to the time. And it's it does like... Uh, how do I put this? Like, I, I, I was very outspoken a little bit back about, about 1776, mm-hmm. being like, this is some nonsense. <laughs> like, because I, I, I thought it was, it was a show Concur, that I, by the way. Just so, you. yeah. <laughs> well, I, thought, I thought it was very antithetical to what I, what I view art and musical theater to be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is like 4,000 white dudes on stage. Yeah. And like, oh, these women are singing about how they need to love their husbands. Great. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't like this. Um, and then... So, but then you say, oh, is this again a product of its time or what? And then the when there was a big discussion and a lot of people were like, what, you don't think there deserves to be a story about our founding fathers? And my response is something like, guys, Hamilton's coming out in a few months. Right. <laughs> like, chill. Yeah. Um, and then I was very bitter towards Hamilton because all those people were like, oh my God, Hamilton's the best. I was like, I literally, <laughs> I was like very upset. <laughs> um, and so it, it's something similar here where it's like, like, I, I had said, like, can we retire 1776 from our, like, keep it in our history, keep the music, mm-hmm. everything, but maybe don't produce it anymore. It's obsolete. Mm-hmm. And that is, sadly, something I feel about Sideshow. Sort of like... Oh, really? Yeah, it's like, it, it very much reflects its time of the 30s, and it's a really great historical study of that culture, of both Sideshow and uh, vaudeville culture. Super cool. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, um... Like I don't, I don't feel like there's a burning need to do the show anymore. You know, I, I think it's like, yeah, study it, look at the music. The music is gorgeous, and let it exist as music and recordings, and sing the songs because mm-hmm. they're great songs. But like, I don't feel the need to produce it. Like, I don't feel the need for people to go up stage and on stage and be like, oh, well, we can't have a relationship because you're black, right? <laughs> you know, and then like, oh, well, we can't have a relationship because you're a Siamese twin. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's. It's, it does strike me as very, like, sort of like, we don't need it anymore. Do you feel that is because of the way the characters are handled in the writing, or is it more the way the issues are handled in the writing? I think it's a little of both, okay. to be honest. Like, because, um, like, while they never outrightly state, like, we can't have this relationship because you're black, it is very heavily applied. It's what she's saying. It's not, yeah. yeah. You know, and... And even then, I was just like, ooh, this makes me very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, I totally get that, like, interracial relationships were very, very frowned upon. But we know... Illegal in, in yeah. a lot of cases, actually, yeah. yeah. But it's... I, I come, I'm from the standpoint, like, yeah, we know that now. Mm-hmm. Like, and we don't need to revisit that. 
uh, like unless the show is specifically about that and making a yeah. statement. Yeah, I mean, know, that's the is... thing is that the show raises a lot of interesting ideas about who you think you are versus how people see you and how people mm-hmm. see you influences who you think you are. There's a striking moment of that to me in The Devil You Know when mm-hmm. the fortune teller yep. stands up and says, I can see the future and this is all going to be great. And makes I really laughed at that moment being like, no, you're not. Like, you're just, <laughs> do you? And then I was really like, do you believe that? Like, did you really go like, I can see the future and like, this is going to be fine. Or are you just like mad at, at Jake? And so you're just like, listen, right. by the authority vested in me. Oh, the fortune teller is a whole story in herself. You know, it's like, is she living vicariously through the winds to escape? Is yeah. She, is she in a blood feud with the cannibal king? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, like, her two lines of song tell a whole, like, is a mystery. Yeah. But I think it, it's it's the problem of the fact that the show... I don't think it's necessary for shows to judge their characters. Oh, yeah. But I think it's necessary for when shows take on tough topics to have a point of view. Yeah. And I think ultimately this show doesn't have a point of view. And that's what it is. It's yeah. they're, t- they're raising the questions about the tough topics, but not providing a lens through which you can like appropriately analyze it. Yeah. It's just showing it to you as is. Because it's not about surviving the aftermath of having been in a freak show. It's not about... Right being different and that being a problem for you in society it's about characters who also have these things going on but there's so many of them and it's so overt and it does like the societal issues ultimately are what ruin their dreams Mm -hmm. and to so to simply ignore them up until the moment they ruin the dreams <laughs> is is kind of it doesn't it doesn't really work for me. I mean, Buddy does a pretty good job of and Daisy too. Oh, excuse me, God, I do this every time. I know, right? Buddy does a pretty good job and Violet as well of making these sort of grand societal statements that feel really weird coming from like Violet saying something like it's just not something people do or you mm-hmm. know feels very odd. And I would like to live in that moment a little longer and have somebody say, "What are you?" talking about like yeah. we're not people like you view us as but that never it's never, it never explored happens. yeah you know and so it's it's sort of like and I, I wonder if that goes with like the title itself it's sort of the shock jockery of it like, mm-hmm. like sideshow and freaks and the and the marketing of it again. yeah and sort of like that that draws you in and you want like if I were to watch the show now, I would want that exploration. I would want them to dive into, well, why is an interracial relationship bad if you're a Siamese twin? Right. <laughs> like, like, that's an interesting moment of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And let's let's live in it for a second. Let's give it a song. I mean, well, there's an idea. We're in a musical. I know, right? Let's give it a song. I mean, it's a really... And also because these moments of, like you say, of bared soul emotion are so genuine and touching, they feel like ultimately they're unserved. I mean, uh, Terry's song, uh, where private he- private conversation. Oh my gosh, that's sad. We'll never be alone. And my feelings can't be shown. So I try to imagine and replay all the things I'll never get to say. You're wrapped up with another Tangled and entwined I invent a separation In the private conversation In my mind 
mm-hmm. and beautiful and and just there's a, there's a lot of great hopelessness in that of like he wants something that he literally cannot have but it's standing right in front of him mm-hmm. and that's super sad and it puts him on this really interesting level playing field with Daisy and Violet of this like we want something and, and we can't, have, we can't it. have it and Jake wants something that he can't have but that that issue is not addressed it's the fact that I want this and I can't have it and that makes me feel X like give me it give, makes me feel enough to sing a song about it right you know? <laughs> and it just doesn't get to that that next point and it's just yeah yeah, and Super it's for a show that's specifically about like these four or five characters, yeah, and their feelings on things while bringing up all the social things around them. The the, the social things like impact them, but almost in a way not enough to have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. You know, like you see that and go, and that's sort of why I feel like I think the show is is sort of like done because mm-hmm. it's like okay, well we know right. Like there's there what more is there to discuss to say on this topic like and there's nothing that you have brought up in here that makes me want to discuss further Mm -hmm. because like I see that now and just go oh right you don't want an interracial relationship yeah cool right product of its but it does and it doesn't make me feel good about Violet I mean that's the other real problem is this character who I've been empathizing with and and really like she she is the empathetic force of this show huge hypocrite right. And a dick. I mean, just, you're just like, I don't like you right now. Like, you've, you've made me, honest to the historical context, you have made me dislike you. Right. And I've had no warning for that. I've had no buildup of, like, Violet doesn't, it's not even that she doesn't like African Americans. It's just that she doesn't believe in interracial couples. Yep. That's something, if, if that idea had even been introduced in Act One. Sure. Or that her idea of being opposed to marriage full stop because people don't marry conjoined twins like if that's a belief she has Mm -hmm. if that had been introduced to me in act one i would have been by the time we get to act two in that moment be like oh the whole time he's bearing his soul to her i'm like this is gonna go so badly but what they end up doing is making me go please yeah (laughs) and then when she says no and you know why she says no you hate everything that's happening in front of you right yeah now. and all the emotional work you put in into liking the characters is suddenly just gone yeah it's so and, upsetting and that's probably why the ending feels so like suddenly yeah. you dislike all the I characters i don't like anybody i don't well actually i end up like i have to say i ended up liking daisy yeah a lot at the end but which is something like the brat at the beginning <laughs> she does and it's a really interesting journey for daisy to go from like i'm in this for me to end up as being i'm in this for us mm-hmm. she's ex- accepting the truth of her situation but Violet <laughs> goes from being sad and like quiet and sweet and sad to angry and sad. Like I don't know, her, her she's just sad. Like she's right. just it's it's very it's a it's a bad it's a bad journey. It's almost like they forgot it was two different people. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which again, that's an interesting idea. Right. Not that's not what this show is. And that's the thing is, it, it like you're saying, the show could have gone so many different places. But yeah, it, it chose to do none of them. Yeah, Set which up. is a shame because it again, is. the music is the music itself is so surprisingly intricate. Yeah, you know, like it, it's got the Broadway feel to it with like the big emotions and the big show stopping numbers. But even within those, like the music is complex. Yeah. You know, the, the chord structures alone in a lot of the songs are, like, very fascinating. Like, private conversation, like, both metrically and, like, harmonically is a fascinating song. Like, yeah. I have, in my current memory, no songs to compare it to. 
You know, and it's like it's so unique. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting show, and and one I will certainly keep listening to. But it is this, like you say, it's very complicated, yeah. or not complicated feelings about it now. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, yeah, it gives right. me the icks a little, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, and and for me, when I like, approach that, when when one gets the icks, like mm-hmm. you go, oh, do I examine this or do I walk away from it? Yeah, and like having examined this, I'm like, yeah, it's it's one I could honestly leave behind. Mm-hmm. I will like cherish it forever in memory, but yeah. like I don't really need to see it. What did you say? They're great songs. Yeah, and, and that's one of the reasons. Like I said, I was drawn by the music to this because mm-hmm. the, the music is excellent. Yeah. And then, like, but the story as a whole is kind of like Lester. Mm-hmm. And again, it's sort of the promise of the opening number. I'm just so stuck on that. Like, they're so important. Yeah, they are so important opening numbers. It's, it's a promise. It's an invitation. Mm-hmm. And then, if you don't deliver on that, you're like, well, why didn't I watch all the rest yeah. of them? Really? <clears throat> this is great, John. John, thank you so much. So, what do you have coming up? I will be uh, with the Terra Project's next iteration. Uh, the Tarot Project is micro theater, so it's it's seven performers. Uh, each of us get three tarot cards, and we we build a piece around that tarot mm. card. And then as the audience comes in, they get a card drawn from wherever. And then our MC goes around and is drawing the cards at random, so the pieces come out in all different order mm. every night. And it's um, so it's micro theater. It's a performance designed for one person, mm. and then the rest of the audience gets to watch. The performance for that one person. Sure. So it's 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 sort of playing with what it means to be an audience, what it means to be participatory, etc. And there are always a lot of really fascinating acts, you know. And it's it's not necessarily just like skits or scenes. Like some people do poems, some people dance, some people do burlesque, some people like play D and D with you. Mm. Or like I think I did one where it's like I gaze into your eyes and tell you your future. So it's like five minutes of really uncomfortable staring. <laughs> <laughs> and then like. Or, you know, someone sings you a song. It's, it's such a grab bag. You never quite know what the experience you're going to get is based mm-hmm. on the card you drew. And so that, it's it's going to be exciting. We'll start rehearsals for that in, like, late September and then start performing in, in October. All right. So. Oh, boy, devising. Great. Hey. Let's go. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad to have experienced the show and know this show now instead of being like people being like, I love slideshow. And be like, yeah, okay. You know. Yeah, but I can go, oh, why? <laughs> The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. If you like the original cast, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's the easiest way to make sure other people find the show. The original cast is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. My thanks to John John Johnson for coming down and talking to me today. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal.